Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello, and welcome to the Fandown Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and I am so stoked because I'm talking to Ernice Williams, a.k.a. your nurse lawyer, also someone who is just on Oprah Daily, in the Oprah Daily Magazine, which is insane. But I'm going to read you a little bit about Ernice. So Ernice is an experienced nurse and attorney who works with individuals, businesses, and organizations to create systemic change. As a change management expert, she uses this process to break down the goals of her clients to create sustainable and cost-effective plans of action. Additionally, her training empowers executives, leaders, and other stakeholders to go from struggle to stride by expanding their perspective, discovering opportunities of growth, and utilizing present resources to reach their intended goal. Now, I brought Ernice on the show because she's an experienced nurse, but also an attorney, but she has a lot of resources out there for nurses specifically. And so I want to talk, bring on the show to talk about, you know, what maybe we could be doing better as nurses. Like what should we have a liability insurance? Like what happens if we get called to court, stuff like that. But before we get into any of that, how are you? I'm doing so good. Easing through the week as we kind of like get back to, to work. Um, I didn't like ever fully, you know, when you're a small business owner, you don't take the holidays completely off, but I definitely did slow down significantly. And so I'm still cleaning out my email and doing all those things. And then the kids are virtual. So they're somewhere, you may hear them fighting in the background. <laughs> my husband said he would hide them for a little while, but we'll see. Um, but, you know, honestly, I'm doing well. And I think it's, sometimes I feel bad for feeling good and being in a good place. Um, where people are like, everyone has COVID. And I was like, I think I got the booster late enough to where I didn't get it and just got really lucky. Um, I've been places, I've been out, I've traveled since then. Um, and so it just, it's like a kind of like a survivor's guilt, right? Like I yeah. left nursing before, I mean, I was there during the pandemic, but it's way worse than I think it was when I was working earlier this earlier last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, I feel good, but then sometimes I feel bad that I feel so good. Yeah. Yeah. What is that about nurses? I, I don't know. We're I mean, overly passionate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, for all of us out there, I would say just feel that goodness. Just feel good for everybody out there who's not, because, you know, we all know these things ebb and flow. So, I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always, I'm trying to harness the now and mm-hmm. like the experience of the now and be present and mm-hmm. know that these moments are fleeting. And, and so I'm, like I just I'm just accepting of your feeling good and I love Thank it you. so much. You. Um you have a really interesting story and I would love it if you could share your journey from nurse to lawyer yeah. and what that was like and this this you created a platform from nothing you created something that didn't exist which I think is so awesome. So. Thank you. Yeah. So I've been a nurse for 13 years. I thought that I would be a nurse forever for the rest of my life because that was really, truly my passion. Why I went to college, I knew like immediately that's my major. Um, I thought I wanted to be a doctor at some point, but you quickly realize the commitment and the time. And that wasn't really what I was interested in. I loved the connection that I was able to have to my patients. So being in nursing school really showed me the difference and the specialties and how being a nurse really is a huge, like you have a huge impact on people. And so I 
realized that I loved it, but I wasn't able to create change in it. Like people were already coming to wherever, like when I worked in the OR or when I worked in outpatient, they were already sick. They had already gone through all of the systemic failures and are now here in front of me. And the only thing I can do is just provide great care. And that is super important and invaluable, but it's also not who I am. Like I want to prevent these things from happening. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go back to law school because at the time, the Affordable Care Act hadn't come out, but it was a huge conversation and lots of negotiations and talking about the impact that it was going to have if this was actually um, passed into law and then what was going to happen afterwards as the laws kind of became defined and developed and the rules start to come out about, you know, surrounding uh, the Affordable Care Act. And so I was interested in being a part of that change. Mm-hmm. So I went to law school, got into law school and realized how intricately connected healthcare is to housing, to the criminal justice system, to poverty, to mm-hmm. all of these different things. And I felt like I was jaded because I was just like, healthcare is it. Like the only way we're going to save people is by having better health and better health systems. But I realized if you have great care and if you have great systems, but then you go back into an impoverished situation or you live in a food desert or you are in a, um, a violent community or over police community, none of that matters. And so many people's Uh, disregard for their health is related to all of these different socioeconomic factors. And so I had to then expand my mind to understand that it was so much bigger than what I thought. And so I still was then a little bit lost. I think I lost myself in law school because I was like, I want to do housing. I want to do landlord tenant law. Like I want to do all of these things because Mm -hmm. I feel like these are so critical and important. And then I tried to refocus, got into doing some medical malpractice work, which paid, that paid really well. And I worked with a mentor who was like, you're excellent at this. This is what you want to do. Um, but I didn't, I just had lost my voice because I knew I had a, I had a plan. That's who I am. I'm mm-hmm. a planner. Um, but law school really opened you up to just the things that happen in this country that you just never even hear about unless you are in a legal environment. Um, and so I came out of law school, was trying to get into the federal government. They were having hiring freezes. And so I went kind of back home and gotten back into the comfort of healthcare. I did hospice. I worked on a telemetry unit. I launched a law practice, but I was doing med mal and personal injury. And I didn't like it because again, I was at the point where it had already happened. So I'm like, I don't want to be at the end of the situation, even though the recovery is just as important as preventing it. it, it to me, that was, that's just not where I, the role I wanted to play. And so I've been stayed in healthcare, moved to New York for a little while, worked at a federally qualified healthcare center. And I was so miserable. And after being so lost for so long, so miserable for so long, I kept like, I'm like, this is not like, this isn't real. I love nursing. I'm a great nurse. I can do that. But there's something more that I should be doing. And then the pandemic happened. And my husband who traveled for work was now home. I had more time to think. I had more time to like, dream and really like put into place something that mattered to me. And I applied for all of these jobs. I tried to get into healthcare tech. I tried to um, get into all of these different industries and nobody would hire me. And so I finally was like, it's time for you to buckle up, buttercup. Like, <laughs> so in June of 2020, I hired a coach who also I went to law school with was exiting the law to do some coaching and decided that I was going to relaunch my law practice. And I was going to work with nurses and nurse practitioners who were valuable to our communities and just doing something different. So they were business owners who were do, getting into primary care or getting into post-op care, IV hydration aesthetics or wellness overall. And I'm like, nobody is talking to them. Nobody is educating them, empowering them, supporting them, and who knows them better than me. And even when I try to work with other attorneys to serve this community, people just don't know where to start. They don't know what laws to look up. They don't know, understand scope of practice or standard of care. And so they're kind of like, I don't know if I really want to do that. And so I've been, that's how I kind of relaunched my law practice in 2020. And then in 2021, um, I really started focusing on my marketing. Clubhouse was really popular. I ended up in some really big nursing rooms and then things kind of just really sped up from there. It was like, whoa, who's this person? I've never heard of a nurse who's a lawyer. She seems very interesting. And then it kind of like, people were like, who are you and where did you come from? And I was like, I've always been here. <laughs> I've lived a lot of places and I've done a lot of things. And I've really utilized my platform to educate and empower 
those who are still in direct patient care, as well as those who are interested in leaving direct patient care and getting to healthcare tech or working remotely, and those who are interested in taking their skills and expertise and getting into business and serving their community. So um, I've kind of been a little bit of a trifecta for the healthcare community, and I'm hoping to continue this year in kind of spreading the word and building up our, our community. I I just love what you're up to. As I, as you were talking, I was thinking about like, I know you do some like like co- coaching and mentoring of clients, right? Like small mm-hmm. businesses. Yeah. How does that feel to see, and also the other people that you've worked with, like how does that feel to see them like make progress and change and grow like for you personally? Yeah, it is so empowering. Um, so I have a, one of my clients who's a nurse practitioner uh, and she's married to a nurse and they started like their own aesthetics practice. And um, it, you know, nurses have the best intentions and the best hearts. And because of that, it doesn't always make the best business owners because you're, you care so much about everybody else that you're not really identifying what you need to do as a business owner. And so we kind of had to work through some of those challenges. And once she like broke through that mindset aspect of it, she took off. And I was like suggesting things to her. And she was like, oh, I already had that. I already did that. And I'm like, wait, you had all of this when we first started working together. What were you doing? And she was like, I don't know. (laughs) And so it is magical to see people growing and educating others and empowering others. Most of the people I work with are women. Most of my clients, probably 90% of my clients are women. Um, And so it's like women don't just go in and start businesses for themselves. They're always doing it for someone else. It's Mm. never always about them. And then you're a woman and you're a nurse or nurse practitioner. So you are even more about your community. Like it's so much deeper and the impact is even greater. And so it's been so empowering to see my clients become successful become confident and then give them that flexibility that so many of them have always desired. I think a lot of us got into nursing thinking thinking we would have flexibility. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, we don't, even if we're only working three or four days a week, somehow you're spending a day recovering and then you're spending the other two days preparing to go back to work. And so you're never fully like flexible. And you also don't really have um, the ability to like create your own schedule, which was also, I felt like a promise that we kind of received, like, oh, you can create your own schedule. And, right. and you don't, most places don't have that. Most nursing nurses don't have that. And because of that, we are just committed to this hospital mm-hmm. <laughs> or this healthcare system or this organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and we lose our own identity and what we kind of desire. And so bringing nurses out of that and nurse practitioners out of that mindset of like, it's not about them. It is also about you and you're building a business around what you want has just been really powerful. It's really like, I get so excited. I text my clients and she'll text me like, oh, my one of my clients had a $5,000 week. And I'm like, yeah. Is like, oh my God. It, you know, it's, it's really amazing to see. That's so great. I love it. I just love it. Um, let's talk about nurses and nurse practitioners or healthcare provi- providers for a minute. Mm-hmm. What should we be doing differently? Like to protect ourselves, i.e. maybe documentation or what are mm-hmm. like some common things that we could be doing differently, you think? Yeah, I think, you know, and I was talking about this earlier today on social, like documentation is a communication tool. And I think sometimes we see it as a weapon to like, or as a tool to protect us. And although it is that, if you look at it as a communication tool, you treat it very differently. My goal is to make sure the person behind me knows what I did and knows what still needs to be done, um, knows what can, what happened throughout my shifts, but also what potentially could happen. And it's not for me to use it as a way to build a barrier between me and other practitioners, whether the provider or the radiologist, the pharmacist. Like It's a communication tool that we're all feeding into for the betterment of our patients, right? We protect our patients through our documentation. We protect each other through our documentation and we protect ourselves through our documentation. And what we are communicating in the like real time is amongst ourselves. But what we're communicating in the long term is if anything ever happens, the standard of care. And so if we focus on what should be done and not like what isn't happening, we can actually just become more efficient and effective. And so people are so focused on like, I have to document all of these things because I need people to know that I'm a good worker 
And I'm like, that is not the purpose of documentation. That is between you and your manager. Like that's (laughs) not us. Right. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I think I want people to shift their mindset to, I want to communicate efficiently and effectively with my team, with other nurses, um, with my patient, with understanding that patients then go see other specialists. And so if I'm communicating effectively, then the uh, primary care provider can know what happened while this person was in the hospital. So many times, like when I worked in primary care in a, um, at, at my FQHC, we would get the patient's chart and be like, what, what happened? What what instructions did they give you? What medications did they change? We don't know anything. Mm. And that is a communication failure that although may not lead to malpractice, but it leads to now the patient have to go get more more tests or their care is delayed or their medications are delayed because we don't know what actually happened. And so if we shift our mindset to use our documentation as a tool to communicate amongst each other, amongst other specialties, and then and then to protect our patients, we actually would have better outcomes. Um, and we focus so much on the words instead of like on the way it's being done. Like we're just like, it has to be long, right? You know, there are some people who are extremely, we call it superfluous, where people who just very wordy, yeah. like, why yeah. are you using so many words? Like, <laughs> I don't need you to repeat the the vitals in the the note the, the nursing note. I can see that in a different section, right? We we're so duplicative and we're just yeah. doing things because we think that's what needs to be done instead of structuring our chart to focus on how we are caring for our patient and not overly doing it because then that also can be a, be a trigger because if you were doing all this then what else wasn't done right because we're spending all of this time in the chart documenting all these things people think like oh as long as i document all these things i can skip over some other like basic standards of care but i'm like you documented all this but you never brushed the patient's teeth and now they have pneumonia But you documented everything, right? Like Mm -hmm. we forget that nursing care is greater than the words on paper. It is also the care that we're providing to our patients Mm -hmm. and how we're going in approaching, educating and empowering them to make sure that they understand what we did. Because a lot of the miseducation or the misinformation that patients receive is they don't even know what happened. So they're saying nobody said or nobody told or nobody did when we did do it. We did document it, but we never communicated it. And so that is what's more important. Like I'm going to tell someone I'm putting on Ted stockings because we're trying to avoid getting a blood clot. I'm making you get out of bed because we're trying to make sure that you don't get a blood clot. And this is why you're taking low binocular. It is more than just documenting that you gave the medication. It's also education because then when the patient says no, right, you're then documenting, I educated the patient on why they need to get out of bed. They refuse the toast that they refuse. And so it's it's not defensive where you're like, patient refused to get out of bed. Okay. Do they know why they needed to get out of bed? Mm -hmm. Did you tell them why they needed to get out of bed? Did you, did you let them know like 24 to 48 hours in this bed could lead to you being here for a lot longer? (laughs) No. Right. Um, And so like the way you tie the story of the care that you're providing and the care that in the way you're educating your patient is how you show that, that you met the standard of care. Mm -hmm. And so it's a mindset shift. It's, it's what we're not taught because nobody on the other side, on the legal side is telling healthcare workers how to navigate some of these challenges. And so we operate in fear. We operate in things that are passed down and miseducation that's told Mm -hmm. from this person and that person. People are teaching us who are using EMRs, but they actually started off doing paper documentation, but they're still teaching, teaching the same principles Mm -hmm. when some of that information is already uploaded. Some of those things are already done automatically. And so we are treating our EMR system like a paper chart and it's actually defeating the purpose because we're not even documenting the things that we need. So, um, you know, my encouragement is for healthcare workers to actually understand what lawyers are looking for and what triggers those, like, I'm going to look deeper. I always tell people, like, you have to understand how to document from a legal perspective because lawyers are looking for very particular things. And if they can't find it in a few minutes, they're not paying someone thousands of dollars to go digging deeper. They're going to do their own analysis. They may hire a nurse to do like a chart review. And they're looking for some very specific things. And one of the things I always tell people is when you say something negative about somebody in the chart, they know that there's going to be a nurse who has written a ridiculously long note that's going to tell the whole story. And guess what? Even if you didn't do anything wrong, 
they're going to put you against each other. And now you have a medical malpractice lawsuit that may not even be based on the fact that something happened. It's the fact that there was a failure to communicate mm-hmm. and you're probably going to end up having to settle. So um, I, I walk a lot of people and my mm-hmm. students do that in a course called Documentation to Avoid Litigation. It was a live webinar. I do them. I don't know how many I'll do this year, but I did two last year live where people were able to ask questions. We go through case scenarios, but I really get into the process of it all, what we look for, where we're looking for it at. What's the, how do you follow through on the incident management? You know, how do you still document without throwing people under the bus? Um, how do you communicate effectively to ensure that the next person can understand what happens? What is a shortcut in a short way to say, okay, this is the situation. This is the best, but we're kind of working through it without mm-hmm. necessarily being negative or vindictive. Um, Cause that's really how I've documented after I became a lawyer, my whole mindset changed because now I'm like, oh, if I say that, then they're going to go after that provider and they're going to make them defend themselves and say, well, why would this nurse say that about you? What were you not doing? What did you do? And they're not going to remember because, you know, they don't document in real time as as we do. They go and sit at the end of the shift. And so they're not going to remember why they didn't give you an updated uh, order or if you even needed it. They probably just knew in their mind, like, this isn't important. So they ignored your text or ignored your call because they knew that nothing was going to change or they were on their way to come see the patient or, you know, a hundred other reasons why providers may not get back to you. Mm -hmm. But because you, the nurse, are like, called this time, nobody called me back, called this time, like, all of these things that I just, just put that you call. Like, it's okay. You don't need they to put can, 10,000 times that you called. No. Cause you that, don't need to put, you don't need to put that. They didn't call you back. Oh, okay. okay. Right. So you can, you document what you did that from your perspective, but you don't need to document what someone else did because at the end of the day, they may put in their note, receive multiple calls from the nurse, you know, right. finally went to go see the patient at this time at nothing needed to change. Right. Like that is, the communication line, because now the, 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 the doesn't show that the doctor ignored you. It showed that they came, they just came in a time that they assessed was appropriate. Yeah, that's true. And that's not wrong. That is based on what happens in healthcare. Like everything can't be done in real time. It's based on priority. So, but you in putting in your own two cents, then mm-hmm. puts in an inclination that something could have been wrong when truly it wasn't. This is juicy. Okay. This this is good. I mean, that's helpful. I think a lot of us want to, you know, because we're like, oh, it's our license or, oh, it's our ass or, or you know, like it's mm-hmm. us, for us, it's, you know, it's on us. I mean, I, I'm in critical, critical care. So, you know, things are timely. Things are, you know, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a time sensitivity to a lot of things. Um, but I mean, I, I see how you could just... And I, truthfully, I try not to throw anybody under the bus in in, mm-hmm. in my charting because it's I know it's like a legal docu- document, mm-hmm. right? But um, you know, there are ways to. I just I like that you're like you know giving actual advice that you know maybe you don't need to say didn't get the my provider <laughs> ignored me. Because right. <laughs> <Not that> <laughs> he may not have ignored you. Because when you put ignored, it really seems like they did something, but they may not be ignoring you. They may be in the bathroom or they may be with yeah. another patient or they may be in a so they didn't ignore you. They just didn't right. get back to you in the time frame that you felt was appropriate. And sometimes they do need two or three phone calls to really realize that what you're saying is serious. But for you to implicate that they did something that they didn't necessarily do until they get on the phone and say, you know, I'm not coming or, you know, something, then you can document what was said. But for you to implicate that somebody did something wrong when that's not really true. Yeah. It's not fair to the provider who now has to put themselves in a position to defend themselves. And they can't even remember what really happened because they're not going to document. I was in a room with another patient in someone's chart. Right. At 1645 on what? 830. Yeah. They're only going to say at the end of this shift, a generalization of what happened, what they did and what care was provided. Yeah. 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 Roles and, you know, are, are different. What we Mm -hmm. do. Yeah. Expectations are different. Um, Okay. Thank you so much for yeah. that insight. I really appreciate it. Of course. Um, what do you think? Do you think nurses should have liability insurance? So I always tell nurses that it depends. If you are a nurse working for a large healthcare organization, you really should check with their, their team. Like mm-hmm. 
I worked um, at, at Hopkins and this is really why one of the reasons I also became a lawyer because I, I met with a lawyer who was amazing there and he would come down and do trainings one-on-one with us. So I was like, no, everybody doesn't get this type of training. No, he'd be like, why would you document that? He was crazy though. Like he'd be yelling and hollering and screaming at people because they would get frequently sued because of our miscommunication and our wow. failures and the way we would throw people under the bus. And in Baltimore, if you like have an issue with someone at Hopkins, you're bound to win. Like even if you don't have all the information. And so he oh. was like, he would be just, he would be going crazy. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting. So, stop documenting Yeah, he was like, stop doing that. Like, no one can even read. Like, he just, oh my goodness, <laughs> it, was, it was a mess. But um, getting back to the question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Should we have liability insurance? Yes, liability insurance. I said, you, oh, if you, depends what type of organization you're working for. Depends what type of work you're doing in the role. This kind of came up on Twitter recently about students getting malpractice insurance. I don't feel like that is valuable because as a student, you don't have a license to protect. So why would you have any type of policy? You can't even be necessary. I guess you can be reported to the board if you do something egregious that is ridiculously outside of the scope of a student. But like you only have one patient, you're giving maybe one or two medications. Like what could possibly happen? I'm talking about nursing student, not like CRNA or nurse practitioner. Those, right. those are different. You already have a license. You have a standard. You understand what the standard is. You have an idea of what your scope of practice is completely different, but a nursing student, it doesn't make sense. Hmm. So as a nurse, I always tell people, so it depends on the organization you work for. It depends on the way that organization treats nurses. And, and if they're use if they are the type of organization which most large organizations are is to get their staff out of the lawsuit and they just take responsibility themselves then yes if it's an organization who's like we're not going to defend you ever then no that's kind of a cultural thing um and if you maybe work in a small practice that they may not have the greatest malpractice Mm -hmm. insurance maybe but you have to understand if you get uh, malpractice insurance as a nurse and a case is brought against your insurance, you may become uninsurable if you decide to become a CRNA or a nurse practitioner. And well, so lawyers don't go after people. Lawyers go after money. Okay. I don't care about you, the nurse. I care about you. The, I care about the policy. Mm-hmm. I care about the person who's going to pay. And so the argument can, is always, why would you keep this nurse in here unless the nurse is completely responsible, completely ignored, did not meet the standard? Like it has, and nurses who are good nurses, the ones who usually have, who really care, that's not what's going to happen. They have already called the code. They've called the, like they've done all the things on their end. There are times where if someone comes out of the OR and there's, you know, a mistake that was happened, that's not going to be the nurse's responsibility, even though that nurse, but they're going to originally name you and they're going to name every person who had attached to the chart. The way you get people out of the chart is say, this person doesn't have a policy. This person doesn't have a policy. We're covering them where this person wasn't really involved. They only transported. Like that is how, like general counsel attorneys who are attorneys who work in-house negotiate getting people out of lawsuits. So Mm. I tell people it's based on the culture, based on the type of organization you work for, based on the services. Now, if you are working as a nurse independently in the community, giving vaccines, doing all those different kinds of things, you know, maybe that's something, yes, you should have your own malpractice insurance. As a business owner, you need business insurance and malpractice insurance. But as a nurse working for some of these large organizations, if you work for a, a federally qualified healthcare center, you better not have a malpractice insurance. That is this, it don't make sense. The federal government covers everything for federally qualified right. healthcare centers. So a lot of people work for people who, uh, organizations that fall under these special types of organizations where the federal government is either paying for it or you're working for um, like a rural hospital that falls under, like it's just different. It's not necessarily black and white for every single person, but for the majority of healthcare workers, especially nurses and some nurse practitioners who are working in large organizations, that is a conversation that you need to have with HR, with the general, with the legal department um, or something that you should inquire about. Like, do you all require your nurses to have malpractitioners? And most of them are probably going to say, no, why would we do that? Like, why would we expect you to come here and prepare for a lawsuit? Like, no, we, why would we do that? So it's definitely something that I think we need to inquire and ask more about now, the this is like happening before, you know, this has always been my thought process before there's a pandemic. 
more nurses are now going out. And I was a travel nurse. I've never had malpractice insurance in my entire, any job I've ever had. There's no way you can sue me. I owe $300,000 in student loans. You're never going to get a dollar. (laughs) There's not a dollar that you can get from me. Everything's like, I I, I owe thousands in private student loans. Like you're going to be the last person in line. So you can try it, but you're never going to get anything. (laughs) But now, and even if you're working for a travel agency, every travel agency as well, they have their own malpractice insurance, right? Um, and I, I had this conversation with travel nurses, like, what should I do? I'm like, it, it, does it make sense that you are putting yourself at risk to go work at these hospitals? And then all of a sudden you think that they're going to like try to bring you back into this lawsuit, unless you're doing something really egregious, like, and most nurses aren't. Um, so I, that's kind of the conversation I always have. But if nurses, which we think is going to happen in the next few years, become independent contractors where you're now not even working for the agency, mm-hmm. you are working for yourself, mm-hmm. picking up shifts independently at hospitals in your area, doing like local travel. Yes, because now you're your own business, you're your own entity, but you should not do it as an individual. You should do it as like a business. You should never be an independent contractor at like personally. You should yeah. put it under a business entity. And the only thing that they could go after is the business and whatever is in the business and not your personal assets. So that's kind of how you have how you separate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we move towards that method, that model, the conversation will change. And then it'll be more educational. How do you start your own business? How do you protect this as a business entity? How do you ensure that you separate your personal and business assets um, to make sure that people don't ever get access to your personal assets if you decide to become an independent contractor? Like an LLC or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I, I want to go back to what you said about if you were a CRNA or advanced practice provider. And if you had liability insurance as a nurse, maybe under a different license, and then you did have a claim against you, mm-hmm. what did you, you said? Maybe you that's a circumstance. Uninsurable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. That's obviously something that, I mean, you, you want to <laughs> want to avoid because as a advanced practice provider, are you mostly insuring yourself and the Okay. You have to come in with your own or you have to be insurable. And mm-hmm. so if you have ever had a claim against you, depending what that claim was, how, if they settled or if they, def- like depending on that, the insurance, and there aren't a lot of malpractice insurance companies um, and you have to report anything that kind of has claimed against you, they would then decide for you if you're insurable, if they're going to insure you or even what the price is. And it's very interesting because with nurse practitioners to me and CRNAs, to me, they're penalized in the way um, that the insurance companies treat them versus doctors. So with the doctors, what they do, they just increase the rates to where you you pay it, fine. Um, and so they'll just increase your rates. Whereas I feel like with nurse and nurse practitioners, they'll just tell them that you're uninsurable. Um, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just like car insurance or something, right? Mm-hmm. For your premiums go up. Mm-hmm. Huh. Wow. Well, I, hmm, I don't know what to say about that. That doesn't, that just doesn't seem right though, but. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, cause like with, I think the ability for physicians to make more money, like the price is kind of set, like nurse and nurse practitioners, CRNAs and nurse practitioners are only going to make but so much, right? Like your ranges are, are pretty modest. Whereas a surgeon can be like, well, I'll just do more surgeries or I'll just do more this or, you know, and they kind of make it work or the hospital sometimes cover covers a portion of it or their group covers a portion of it, even if those claims increase. But like we forget that people put claims against these doctors all the time. Yeah. Um, and this is why some providers don't even operate in like rural communities anymore because they couldn't even get the insurance that they would need to get covered in those communities based on, you know, the rates just would be astronomical and they couldn't even afford it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why most of, you know, providers don't even work in those communities anymore because they're uninsurable. Um, And so they want to go work in cities and organizations that can help burden the, you know, take on the cost and the burden of, uh, of malpractice insurance. Hmm. Is it because like in the communities, they're most likely going to make less and then that's risk. What is it inherently about working in a rural community that is riskier? Is it just 
that they don't have like access to all of the like routine testing and things and mm -hmm. services. so you're going to get sicker patients you're going to get people with more complications um people are going to have less access to resources so if i perform a surgery on you but there's no rehab like yeah you're not going to have a good outcome um if there's no open beds or assisted livings or you know nursing homes like all of those kind of things really come into play in those types of communities so mm -hmm. when we hear about people having to go 100 miles 200 miles to get to the next big city so that they can have whatever care that they need that's because they don't have the uh, other additional services mm -hmm. that they could that you know ancillary services that they need in their community to actually make whatever uh surgery or care that is being provided you don't see plastic surgeons in these rural areas like no <laughs> why would i do that it, it's it's a it's a problem just waiting to happen an infection um you know and these people you know in those communities unfortunately just don't have like they don't have the resources and so it's it just definitely the risk assessment is definitely going to be a little bit different for those communities mm -hmm. interesting thank you so much um yeah, that's a really interesting conversation to have. Um, what would, what should we do if we get called to a trial, you think, as a healthcare provider? Yeah. And also, does, does it happen very often? Um, It doesn't. I think when I was looking up data, like for nurse practitioners, like in 10 years, like 100 nurse practitioners have been sued. Wow. It had increased. Um, but they weren't keeping real track of the data and it's just not as common. Like people try to make it seem like it's so common. It's not like it's, it's not even common that 50% of doctors in their lifetime get sued. And when they assess a lot of them, most of them, the issue has always been communication. Like people will hold a doctor responsible for something that they're not, like they're not expecting the nurse to be responsible for their care. They're not even sometimes expecting the nurse practitioner to be responsible for certain aspects of their care, but their doctor who they trusted. Oh yeah. yeah you're going to be responsible even if some of the burden is on the patient. So the data for nurse practitioners is really low and for nurses is even lower but there's a lot of us, right? So there's 8 million or so, 5 million. The number I feel like changes all the time, like millions and millions of nurses. Mm -hmm. And if 5% sounds like a lot, because it is a lot of people, but spread over out of 8 million, mm -hmm. it's not a lot of people. Yeah. And so you'll, somebody will say, oh, eight, like 100,000 nurses, which isn't even, it's nowhere near that at all. But you're like out of 8 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most nurses in their career will never be pulled into a deposition. Most nurses in their career will never be involved in a lawsuit. Um, and the real issue is that if we had a better system to track bad actors, we wouldn't even have as many issues as we had. Because what people do is they just stay hot. You know, like I'm I'm not doing good here. I, I'm just going. And so if we if we had a universal system to actually track bad actors, some of the bad press that comes on us would be controlled. Right. Um, you know, some of the scenarios that I've heard of people who have harmed patients, like that, that was their goal. Like they were just bad people. It was because people just weren't paying attention, right? People weren't taking responsibility or they were having some bad incidents. They leave that hospital and they go somewhere else. Um, so if you are ever, depending why you're called into the deposition, if it's something that you did, or if it's just like the, a, a patient that you care for, like you just stick to the facts, you don't make up stuff. You know, if you feel like you, <laughs> you, you just, you don't lie. Like it's, it's kind of a legal proceeding. Um, so you have to go through the deposition first and they, there's only a certain amount of questions. You answer the question. You don't necessarily need to um, add, like, this is not a story. Like this is not, you know, for you to go in and tell, answer the question. Where, what, how many patients did you have that day? Four. It's not for you to say, I have four patients and three were on a bed and one was like, no, you keep very factual, answer the question. Cause they can't ask you a follow-up question unless they've already written a follow-up question. Oh, interesting. That's in the death. That's in the deposition and trial. Their goal is to ask you questions to make you lie so that, because they're going to take what you said in the deposition, they're going to try to twist it. And then they can kind of catch you in a lie and then they can um, impeach you and be like, well, this is what you said, but this is what the documentation said. But that's the only way they can do that and introduce information that isn't kind of acceptable if they kind of twist you up. But the fear of being involved in a deposition 
is that it's long. Like it's, they're not even asking ridiculous questions because they don't even know really what happened. They're still trying to figure it out. They still have experts. They're trying to get you to explain to them what happened. So if you don't give them enough information, like you're going to tell the truth, you're going to be honest, but if you're not giving all this extra stuff, then they only can go off of what is there. And then it's up to them to decide if they want to go to trial, if they still want to try to to settle Mm -hmm. the case. Um, And so that's, I think the most important thing is like, be, you know, a deposition is just going to be a mental, right. And like it's mentally impactful versus like you being put in position to, uh, like telling yourself that like you can say, oh, I don't, you know, I, I can plead, you can plead the fifth in there on that. If it's something that you felt like you may have done wrong, like you forgot to do something or something like that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you just answer the question the best you can. Hmm. Yeah. As we were, as you were talking about that, I got a little bit of a pit in my stomach where you were like, oh, they'll bring you in and then they'll <laughs> the turn it around on you and then try to get you to lie. And like, oh God, that's so There's, you know. Lawyers are just as nervous as anyone else. Like they can't make any mistakes. You know, they have their rules that they have to follow. There are, you know, um, things that they can and can't do in court that they could potentially lose their case on those things, especially if they're in front of a jury. So just as much as you are like nervous, like they're not perfect. And they are, they are really have a very thin line that they can walk to do the job that they have to do on either side, whether they're working for the plaintiff or they're waiting, working for the patient or they're waiting for the defense, like defending mm-hmm. you or your hospital or the provider or whoever. Um, and that's when it's really important to understand documentation and understand like not throwing people under the bus. Cause what they'll do is they'll bring a nurse up like, yeah, okay. The nurse is going to tell the truth mm-hmm. and the nurse is going to give the tea and the nurse has all the information. The nurse is already agitated because she don't like this doctor. So that's another reason why hospitals don't even, why would they want, why would they want the nurse to go up there? Are you crazy? The nurse is going, <laughs> the nurse knows everything. The nurse knows where the bodies are buried. The nurse yeah. knows every, what other mistakes, cause they can ask easily, like, is this provider always late to returning phone calls? You'd be like, yeah, I've been working with them for five years. They never call me back. Mm-hmm. So why would they want to put a nurse on the stand? Are you kidding me? Never. A hospital <laughs> is never, never, ever going to want to put you on the stand. Never. Hmm. Yeah. Nurses are way too chatty. We talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. One, one thing I was thinking about was, um, you just reminded me, you know, how, well, the lawyers are in their realm. Like we know, we know the hospital world and the nursing world and like the documentation standard of care and all that stuff. So I, I was just thinking, well, there is a little power in that, right? Like, if we know what we're responsible for and what we're supposed to do, mm-hmm. um, it's hard for them probably to sift through like what, what, like you said, like what really did happen and mm-hmm. um, coming in from the outside. People try to make malpractice claims a lot of times and attorneys won't take their cases. Like um, I had a case that I was uh, consulting on. The patient had an assisted fall in the room. Documentation was solid. The incident management was solid. Everybody showed up, communicated, like everyone's note was like, like it was perfect. The daughter was like, that's not what happened. And I was like, well, the only thing we can take to court is the documentation and they're not going to let their nurses go on. They're not, they're, they're not letting their nurses go sit on the stand. They're not going to put the residents on the stand, um, and so in order for you to even get past them, the only person who you could potentially hold responsible is the doctor who's going to say, the residents did this, the nurses called, the quality came, all like the doctor came, they did radiology, like they're not going to throw their team under the bus when on paper their team did everything that they were supposed to do. So now you're going to go to court with against this document that mm-hmm. looks perfect, even though you're, what you're saying you saw wasn't what's on paper, it's going to be really hard because they're all going to say they forgot. Right? They're all going to say the only thing they're going to testify on is what's on paper. Um, and now you really don't have a case. And she was like begging to move forward. And the attorney was like, I ain't taking this case. I'm not going to make any money from this case. I'm not going to take <laughs> it. it. The hospital isn't going to want to settle. They're not even, they're going to ignore us. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think we think that people are out here, like attorneys are out here searching for big people call all the time. And people are like, this is not a case like this is not. No, you know, but it's really the it's really the ones where we fail to provide adequate communication, where we we did do something egregious, like uh, unassisted or, you know, unassisted fall. And they were down for a certain period of time and stuff like that. Like some of those things are never events and stuff like that, that yeah. you can't really get around. Yeah. Um but then there are other times where people are just like, I mean, ma'am, you had high blood pressure before you got here. We did what we could. Like you had a stroke, not because of us, but because of your uncontrolled blood pressure. You haven't taken your right. And so then what <laughs> happens is that patient now we go big dig back in your records, and you've been told for the past five years that you should have been on blood pressure medication. You didn't take your blood pressure medication. You come to the ED, you had you are not having any signs of anything acute. So you're sitting and waiting, and then you have to have a stroke. But if we look back at your history, you came you know, like, so those are the kind of things, like, I think people think that attorneys are out here just taking any and every case. That's not true. And in some states you have to go through an arbitrator. So in Maryland, people really have a really bad rap. Medical malpractice attorneys have a really bad rap, but most of the cases don't even make it through the arbitrator. So you have to go through an arbitrator Hmm. before you can file the court case in like in court. You can't even file. The arbitrator then decides who is mm. not a healthcare worker, <laughs> who has, mm. you know, no healthcare experience, but they're the one who decides if your case can move forward or not. Mm. And so you have to convince the arbitrator and you have to pay for that. You have to pay for the, the expert. You have to pay the arbitrator. You have to pay all these people. And if I can't guarantee that your case is going to make past arbitration, it doesn't make sense. And then a lot of these came claims have statute of limitations in Maryland. It's only three years. So in th- by the time you even figure out that maybe something is so wrong with you, like you're sitting up against the statute of limitations and most attorneys don't want to be like rushing to put it, they're not rushing to do anything. Mm-hmm. So to put in paperwork, um, <laughs> pediatrics, it's a little bit longer between 18 to 21 years. It just depends what type of, you know, situation mm. if it happened like at birth or it happened, you know, just as a child, it, it really depends. But people really think that attorneys are out there searching and they're not. Most male practice attorneys don't, they advertise, but they don't search for people. They wait for someone to call their office. Someone calls their office. If the case is good, they'll move forward and and they'll kind of set the process. But it's not as uh, easy as people think to kind of get through some of that. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Very interesting. Um, Hmm. Um, I was, oh, I was going to ask you when, when you mentioned incident reports, I thought incident reports were non-discoverable. It or... depends if you don't mention it, some, if you mention it in the oh, chart, it's discoverable. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when I say incident management, it's like you follow the internal policy of what should have been done. Oh, okay. So I'm saying a person has a fall. Yeah. You, I mean, some, we used to have like a fall team or like whatever. So someone will come and do an assessment. Then you get the CT scan. Like incident management is the process that you follow mm-hmm. when an incident happens. Um, but yeah, most times incident reports aren't discoverable unless put that you put in an incident report. <laughs> File the incident report. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. I'm just <laughs> laughing because quality will kill you. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I I have definitely not never done that, but um, <laughs> I, but um, I've advised people not to um, yeah. do that before. But um, okay. Wow, we have gone all over the place. I just want to say know, thank I you so it. much. It was so wonderful talking with you. Yay. Everybody out there, um, listening, I'm gonna link up a lot of. Ernie's um, like a link to her website or Instagram. And then she's got a bunch of courses out there. She referenced yeah. one of them. Um, it was the nurse's documentation to avoiding litigation. litigation yeah. yeah. So um, well, check all of those out. Obviously follow Ernie's on Instagram. She yeah. is blowing up. Um, and uh, you've obviously created this amazing world for yourself. I'm just <laughs> honored you. that you, took the time to chat today of course my pleasure i love these opportunities because people get a deeper understanding of kind of like you can put sound bites and things on social but you really kind of get a comprehensive understanding of like what i do and like what i'm you know advocating for and why i'm trying to empower and educate us because the more we know the better we can um just be as professionals and the easier it is for us to navigate and 
take away some of the fear that we have in practicing that it's not this big, scary world that people make it seem the media. Sometimes you see things consistently. So it feels like those things are happening all the time, but it really isn't. Mm. Um, Any last closing thoughts for today's show? Yeah. Like I, I say, I do all these things that I really hope that as we deal with some of the things that happens internally in healthcare, that we can then advocate for the things that happen externally. So I really encourage, you know, healthcare workers, nurses, and nurse practitioners to get involved in the political process in some way. And I'm not talking just about party lines, but there's also so much that our community needs that we can be advocating for if it comes to more healthcare services for our community, um, more mental health services for our community, um, recreational centers so that our children can play, like all of those things that I think that they impact us just as much as it impacts our community. And if we understand our voice and our perspective and our view, because we see these people every single day and we understand what they're going through and some of the challenges that they're having, we can then use our knowledge and experience to really impact our community at a greater scale and get into some of the preventative things um, versus just being kind of reactive. And so I really encourage you guys, midterm elections are coming up and one of the things that isn't on the table is what nurses and nurse practitioners have gone through, how nurse practitioners have stood up to become independent practitioners to serve communities that have been underserved and where nurses have really put themselves on the front line, even when they could have done a lot of different things. Um, And we have challenged the system in so many ways to create a better place for um, ourselves and our families. And people don't know that because we don't tell them. We don't speak up about what we do. We don't speak up about who we are. We don't speak up about the dynamics of being a nurse. Like people really are limited by the beliefs of what they see on television. And so I encourage us to speak up beyond healthcare topics like staffing. I know those things are important. I know, you know, some of the things that we talk about in our internal communities are important, but we really need to be speaking up about like um, transparency and pay and pay gaps and all of those things, because those impact us as well. And if we get those for our 8 million of us, imagine how other women in other industries and other people in other industries could also get same, the same access and the same quality of care. So I, I just encourage us to speak up and really tell our full story that we're not just nurses. The nurses is a part of our profession that we are, you know, we're mothers and fathers and uh, sisters and brothers, and we are caretakers. We are so many more things than just our profession. Um, and if people can see us as that, then I think we can really kind of make some, make some change. Woo. I have goosebumps. Uh, well, with that, I'm going to close this out. Well, first I'm going to say thank you. And, um, I'll close this out and say, stay safe and stay sane. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much, Ernice. Oh my God. That was Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you're listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.